I'm going to speak to you for a few more moments about this Advent. And go back, if you would, to Luke. We were in Revelation. That's why I say back. Go back to Luke chapter 2. And I want to show you someone else who waited a long time. And in his case, he saw this promised Savior before he died. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. I'm just going to read this one verse to you. Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is Simeon. He's in the temple. And uh, this is the day that Jesus is brought. Mary, his mother, Joseph, comes with Jesus to circumcise him. And Simeon happens to be, happens. Of course, he's led by the Holy Ghost. He's in the temple that day and immediately recognizes this boy, who's not even a year old, is the promised Savior. It's an amazing story. I love this story. He waited a long time. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of waiting because waiting is no fun. And particularly as a child, I remember Christmas Eve, my family, we open our gifts on Christmas morning. So Christmas Eve was always the longest night of the year. I'd seen the gifts. They're under the tree. I I I knew that some of them were for me, some of them were big, some of them were small. And my family was, my parents were pretty good about putting a few more gifts under the tree after I'd gone to bed the night before. So there's all this eager anticipation, and I cannot sleep. And so I get up, and I go down to tell my parents I can't sleep. They say, well, you're not going to get to sleep by standing there, right? Go back to bed. So I go back to bed. Finally, I fall asleep. I wake up in the morning. And I'm ready first thing in the morning to open gifts. I don't know about your family, but my family doesn't open gifts first thing in the morning. My parents aren't usually even awake yet, right? So I go wake them up, and they're pretty good about it. They get out of bed, but they want to have breakfast. So we have breakfast. They want to read the Christmas story. My family, we always read the Christmas story before we open gifts. And I'm waiting and waiting. It's so, I hated waiting. This fellow had been waiting. Simeon had been waiting all his life. But not for a gift, not for a great day to show up. He had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He'd been waiting for the promised Savior. Now, sometimes we, if you, you're not familiar, if you are not familiar with this period between Malachi being written about 400 years be, before Christ and this time of Simeon, it was a real time of turmoil in Judah's history. First, when, when Malachi is, is written, they are still rule, ruled by the Persians. There were some good Persian kings that had sent uh, exiles back to Jerusalem, and they had rebuilt the walls under Nehemiah, and they'd even rebuilt the temple. We call it the second temple. But then uh, the Persians were conquered by the Greeks, and particularly one part of the Greek empire went to the Ptolemies, and uh, the Ptolemies ruled uh, uh, Judah for a while. They were pretty kind, but after them was another group called the Seleucids, and the Seleucids had a particular king called Antiochus. Thank you, Antiochus. And he thought he was God. And it bothered him the way the Jews worshipped. And it's a, it's a long story. But one day he got so mad, he stormed into the second temple, the Jewish temple himself, and he offered a pig on the altar that was reserved for, for only offerings offered to God. Now we know, we understand the Old Testament, pigs were considered unclean animals. And he did it just to desecrate 
just to misuse God's temple. He um, did a whole bunch of other nasty, mean things to the Jews. And some of you are familiar with the Maccabees. The Maccabees came out of this turmoil, seeing how much uh, 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 Antiochus was doing there in the temple that was wrong. They started, they rebelled against him. They fought against him. And of course, God took care of Antiochus and he died. But the Maccabees started to rule. But the problem with the Maccabees is they mixed the office of high priest and king. I think that there were some, probably some Jews, I I don't know this, but I'm guessing there were some Jews who thought, hey, these Maccabees, they are the promised savior. These are the guys that God promises, but that wasn't the case. They were just men like the rest of us. One of them threw his mother into prison and let her starve to death there. Another one of them got mad because the Jews were were uh, criticizing him because he held the office of high priest and king, and so he had thousands of them executed. These were not good people. And then in the middle of this, the Romans came, and they conquered the, conquered the land, and of course they ruled very harshly. And all during this period, God's people were saying, where is, saying to God, where is the promise that you gave us? That there would be a savior. Now I know our, our, our lives, our our uh, a nation is experiencing a lot of turmoil right now. And I think it's a reminder, uh, the turmoil we experience should be a reminder to us that God always has a remnant. Even in times that are dark. Even in times that are difficult. God has a remnant and God has a plan. Things aren't spiraling out of God's control. He's not desperately trying to catch the, the strings uh, of, 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 of the events, trying to get them back under his control. He always has a plan. And he had revealed to Simeon that Simeon would not die until he had seen the promised Savior. Now notice what he did not promise Simeon. He didn't promise that Simeon would be there at the resurrection. And I don't know how old Simeon was here. I I sort of doubt, we don't hear about him anymore. I sort of doubt he lived to see the crucifixion and the resurrection. So can you imagine the faith it would take to be holding this baby, this newborn baby in your arms and, and just realizing this is God's promised Savior? Has Jesus done any miracles yet? No. Has Jesus even started teaching yet? No. That's faith for you. That this little baby is going to grow up to be God's promised Savior. But that's the faith that Simeon had. We're still waiting. We're not waiting for Jesus' first advent. We're waiting for Jesus' second advent. We're waiting for him to come a second time. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, it says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That was 2 Timothy 4.8. You see, God has a special crown reserved for those of his children who are excited, who are eagerly expecting him to return. Now, I don't know when that will be. It may not even be in my lifetime. It may not even be in your lifetime. Some of you are younger than I. It may not be in your lifetime. But God wants us to expectantly wait for his return. Hear this passage from Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The grace of God not only teaches us to live godly, but it also teaches us to look for that blessed hope. Jesus Christ will return again. Every day our society seems to get a little, a little bit darker. It's, it's, I'm ashamed to even talk about some of the things that are called entertainment today. Because there's so much wickedness in it. I, I'm embarrassed sometimes to hear some of the, the comments that people make on social media. It's despicable how some parents treat their children. And it's despicable how some children treat their parents. It bothers me that there are people dying in Gaza, Israelis and Arabs. It bothers me that there are people dying in Ukraine. It bothers me that there are Uyghurs in concentration camps in China. It bothers me that some of our own Christian brothers and Christian sisters are kept in prison camps in North Korea. It seems to get a little bit darker every day. And the only hope we have is Jesus Christ. I, I want to remind us of that as often as I can. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in our army. Our hope is not in our ec economy. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, that he's going to return. But notice why Jesus came. Back in Titus chapter 2, it said this, um, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Those of us who are looking for that blessed hope, those of us that are eagerly expecting Jesus to return, maybe today, maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe in the next year, maybe in 2024, Jesus is going to return. Those of us that are looking forward to his return, we are purifying ourselves. We're working at ridding ourselves of evil and sin and wickedness and living more like Christ every day. 1 John 3 tells us this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that, when he, that's Jesus, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Those of us that are looking for that blessed hope, those of us who are excited about Jesus returning, we want to purify ourselves. We understand that we won't be completely transformed until we see Jesus. I know that, you know that. But we're still going to work at it daily to purify ourselves even as he is pure. Notice that it tells us that, it, that um, the world does not know us because it did not know him. John warned his disciples that the world would hate them. And the world would hate his disciples, Jesus' disciples, because it hated Jesus first. The world hated Jesus first. I'm not surprised 
when people respond negatively to me and to the gospel? Because the world does hate us. We don't fit in here. Christians have never fit into their society. Even in times, and I know people remember with great fondness other times in the United States history when the Bible was honored uh, and Christians in general were held in high esteem, we still didn't fit in. We really don't fit in now. We are simply strangers in this world. We're, we're pilgrims moving through this world to a better place, a, an eternal place, a heavenly place. And this is what God says to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So we purify ourselves, even as he is pure. And we're eager for the new heaven and the new earth where we will fit in. Just uh, recently, I was talking with someone about our experience in Mongolia. And when we were in Mongolia, we learned the language. Um, Mongolians sort of dress like we do. So we, we dress like Mongolians do. We went to the same shops that they did. But we were never going to be Mongolians. We just didn't look like it. I mean, just very, they, look, they all look about the same. Well, not exactly the same, but they have a very ethnic look. And we were never going to fit in. No matter how well we spoke the language, no matter how well we knew the culture. And from time to time, Mongolian would remark something like, well, you guys know the culture better than we do. We'd studied it. We wanted to know what they did. But we were never going to fit in there. And I remember coming back on one of our furloughs. And uh, there at uh, the Customs and Immigration, the Border Patrol there at the airport where we were landing, the first airport we landed at here in North America, we push your passport across the desk there to the fellow or the lady. and They do their scans and they ask you some questions, you know, what took you abroad, whatever. And then the, the customs and immigration agent said to me, welcome home. <laughs> Boy, I don't know how to describe that feeling. I fit in here, except I don't. Because <laughs> I'm a Christian. Then here's my point. If you feel like it's sort of awkward, I'm a Christian and people don't understand me and people don't like me and people don't People think I'm crazy because I think that Jesus is alive. Don't worry, you're never going to fit in here the way you're going to fit in in heaven. You're never going to be completely at home here the way someday when we see Christ and we're like him, that's going to be home for us. And that's one of the reasons that we eagerly wait for him because this world is not our home. We're just strangers. We're just pilgrims here. And our final home is much better than this home. Because in our final home, there is no sin. In our final home, there is no death. In our final home, there is no sickness. Nobody comes and steals your stuff. Nobody threatens you. And so we eagerly wait for the second coming of our Savior. We long for that day when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We long for that day when this mortal puts on immortality. And this corruptible puts on the incorruptible. Are you waiting eagerly? Are you waiting expectantly for Jesus' second coming? Are you purifying yourself even as he is pure? I read a, 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 a written prayer that was a help to me recently, written by Samuel Johnson, as he looked at himself and considered his, himself, he said this, 
praying to God, he said this, Almighty and merciful Father, you pour out your benefits upon us. Forgive the unthankfulness for which we have requited your goodness. We have remained before you with dead and senseless hearts, unkindled with love for your gentle and enduring goodness. Turn us, O merciful Father, and so shall we be turned. Make us with our whole heart to hunger and thirst after you and with all our longing to desire you. Amen.